Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvan, and Mr. Brian Terry is right here with me. Had a little rocky start there this morning. Sorry for being late, but you don't do a show for two or three months. Better, better late than never, right? That's right. Better late than never. And let's see, we've got Caleb has been patiently holding us. Good morning, Caleb. Hey, good morning. Yes, sir. I'm just calling to say how much I love your show, and I listen to all the old episodes on iTunes, and you guys just know so much about vehicles, and I love... Well, we really appreciate it, Caleb. Appreciate you listening. I do have one question. Sure. I have a 2002 Acura MTX, and the high beams are on... Not all the time, mm-hmm. but when the uh, low beams are turned on, the high beams receive their ground when they shouldn't be, and they're turning on. So I gotta either pull the dash apart or just cut the wire at the switch there and run a new circuit from the high beam switch, flipper switch. Okay, uh, you're breaking up yeah. real bad, Caleb. I can barely hear you. But on the Acura and the Honda, there, those circuits are independent of each other, the high and low beam, and there's two relays in there. I would first check that relay and make sure it's not either the relay bad or that somewhere two wires have touched together where they're picking up a cross signal. It's kind of an unusual setup. And if I'm not mistaken, on that set up the, the lights are always powered and the relays control the ground side so right. if any wire goes to ground it's going to automatically fire the lights and that's the issue there was a, there was an issue with the cigarette lighter mm-hmm. and it caused a couple wires in the harness to melt mm-hmm. so um, that circuit for the hiding is receiving ground mm-hmm. all the time yeah and like so, you said, you could cut that wire wherever you can gain access to it and then just overlay the wire rather than trace and try to find which wire is bad. You could overlay it and there's just okay. re- replace it with another wire mm-hmm. and just tape it to the harness. We, we will occasionally do that rather than split the entire harness open, just replace it with another wire that's not shorted. Right, because it's looking like I'll have to pull the whole steering column yes. to get the dash to access that. Yeah, and, and if you just overlay the, the shorted section of it with another wire, I mean, comparable size, you should not have any problem. That's much, much easier, less intrusive repair. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Hi, right, Caleb. Well, I appreciate you calling, man. Talk to you guys later. All right, man. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye now. All right, 291-6901, area code 225 will get you to us. And, of course, the Automotive Hour runs on Central Daylight Time. Correct. So wherever you are, if you're in another state or whatever, he was calling uh, Massachusetts, I'm sorry, you have to allow for that. Sure. Uh, but, yeah, we're always 10 to 11 Central, Central Daylight time. time or Central Standard Time when Daylight Savings goes away. Yeah, that's, that's something else I wish they would just get rid of. You know, just just set us a time and leave us alone. <laughs> you know? Yeah, the time is time. Yeah, right, right. We don't need to be switching back and forth. And Yeah, that, that's the subject for another day. <laughs> that's right. There you go. Now we can go ahead and take our first quick little break, and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. If you... 
Mimi, your hair is so cute. Who cuts it? Oh, thanks. I got a guy for you. Here's his card. It just says Fallon. Oh no, it's Fallon. Well, uh, Fallon doesn't have a number on his card. I know. Appointments with Fallon are referral only. But I must cut a lock of your hair. Deliver it to Fallon. He will put it under his pillow for a week, and your style and cut will come to him in a vision. Seems like old Fallon has quite a gig going. Today, everybody's got a guy. If you're looking for an automotive guy, think Agco Automotive. No complications, just quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, they complete an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance, so you can budget for the year and keep your car in tip-top shape. So, how much does Fallon charge for a cut? That will come to him in a vision too. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back. This is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Carey. Hey, if you try to answer any automotive, automotive, <laughs> automotive questions, any automotive <laughs> questions you might have, you just give us a call. It's 291-6901. And that's what Dave did. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Lewis and Brian. Hey, I got an air condition problem. Okay. okay. It's on a 04 Dodge Dakota, mm-hmm. and the air works great. It'll get down to 40 degrees. Okay. But then sometimes it just cuts off. Okay. Now, when you it say cuts off, off, Dave, do you mean it quits blowing out of the blowers or it just quits blowing cold? It quits blowing cold. But it's still blowing. Off the hood, and the compressor ain't kicked in. Mm-hmm. And then 15 minutes later, it starts working again. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What you need to do, Dave, first off, do you own a voltmeter? And I have a access digital, to one. A digital voltmeter. Digital voltmeter. No. Okay. Well. The way you would go about diagnosing that is you need you can need to get a digital voltmeter. Go to the clutch where the two terminals are and put it across those two terminals. Now, when it quits working, do you have 12 volt across those two terminals? Yes, no. Because if you do, then the clutch itself is bad. And that happens a lot. As they get older, the gap gets wide, and they start to slip, they get hot, and the car will kick out. And then it'll cool off and it'll start working again. Now, it's also possible that you have no signal there. Now, if you have no signal, then you have to start tracing back and see where you're losing your signal. Even a, a car of that age has a number of things that can shut the compressor off if it malfunctions. For instance, if the idle gets lower than what it wants it to be, it may shut the compressor off to keep the engine from dying. If it thinks it's getting overheated, even though it's not, if it thinks it is, like there's two sensors, one for the gauge and one for the computer. Temperature sensor. If it thinks the computer is getting, you know, if the computer thinks the engine is getting hot, even though it's not, it's going to kick the door off. And there's, there's several other ones in there as well. So if you're not getting a signal, then you, it gets way more complex. But I got to say, one of the more common things is the clutch itself does go bad. Like I said, that drive plate has been in and out probably 10 million times over the life of the truck, it starts to wire, the gap gets wider, so it starts to slip a little bit, and when it slips, it gets hot. And when it gets hot, it kicks out. Now, the repair for that would be to replace the compressor clutch. So you're going to need to start out by checking that first, because that's going to tell you which direction you need to go in. Okay, it sounds good. As long as it keeps kicking in and out, I think I'll just run with it, because, you know, it's long. The problem with that, Dave, is if, if that clutch is slipping, it's generating a whole bunch of heat, and what it's going to do is going to take the compressor out. It's going to end up seizing up the bearing, and it's going to chew up the neck on your compressor, and then you're going to be in a much bigger repair. So, I mean, I don't think you have to run out tomorrow and get something done, but I would look at at least getting it diagnosed 
somewhere. You know, if you can't do it yourself, you can bring it to a shop. Probably wouldn't cost very much of anything to get that checked and get it. I know we do that kind of work, and I could diagnose that in probably ten minutes and tell right. you one way or the other. But if, if that system is cooling. There's no reason to go into the refrigeration side. Yeah, right now so you're good. Don't let anybody tell you it needs to be charged. Yeah. Before they figure out why it's kicking out. Right. In other words, if it's pulling down it, to 40 degrees, and yeah, it's 90 outside. That means everything's right. there, it's intact, it's working now. So what we don't want is that exacerbating to a larger problem where you would have to go into the refrigerant system. All right. All right. I'll keep an eye on it and try to get it into you. Okay, Dave. Right. Sounds good, man. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one. Area code two two five is the number. You want to be part of the automotive hour? Just in case you can't get in. That's right. You can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is a g c o a u t o dot com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. You click the button, it's going to pop up a little form. You fill out the form with the correct information and hit the send button. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. And I usually answer those at least twice a day. Once in the morning, once in the afternoon, sometimes right. more if I just happen to be on the computer. And we kind of use that email for some of our topics on the show. That's right. We take information that we get out of our emails, and that helps us to come up with topics. In fact, I printed out a number yeah, of them. We uh, have several here. Mr. Baker from Greenville has a 2500 Chevrolet pickup truck, and he was concerned about a brake pull to the left. Mm-hmm. And what most people don't understand is when you have a brake pull to one side, everybody wants to go to the side that it's pulling to. Pulling, yeah. And that is exactly the opposite of what you should be doing because if it's pulling, let's say it's pulling to the left, that means the left brake is working, the right one is not. Right. So the problem is going to be on the right side, not the left. Yeah. If you have a failure in the system, like a caliper fails, it's not going to fail that it's going to apply harder than normal. Correct. It's going to fail that it's not going to apply when it should. So the one on the opposite side not applying is going to cause the pull towards the one that does apply. Correct. Now, that's not to insinuate that's the only thing that can cause a brake pull. We've seen all kinds of different yeah, things. Yeah, if you have a years. worn control arm bushing and the arm is moving back when you apply the brakes, then it could pull towards the sure. side. But he was asking specifically if it is a caliper, which side would it be? Uh-huh. And good question. And that's typical of a lot of the questions we get. I see we've got another call. We're going back to the line with John. Good morning, John. Good morning. Yes, sir. What about brakes. That's just my question. Okay, no, good. I got a, a 12 Suburban. Mm-hmm. Suburban. With uh, just bought it a couple of months ago with 82,000 miles, and I'm doing everything. I have no maintenance records, so I went to do the brakes. Okay. And there is a little fillet. There's a little Allen head screw that holds the front rotors on. Right. Actually, yeah. it holds on all the all the rotors. It's actually a Torx bit. On one of the rotors on the front driver's side, the Allen head screw is completely stripped out. Yeah, that's not actually an Allen head screw. That's a Torx bit. And right. if somebody tried to put an Allen in it. It, it, it will strip it. And stripped it out. Yeah. So anyway, I am trying to get it out because I'm replacing pads and rotors mm-hmm. and whole nine yards. The easiest thing to do would probably just to go ahead and drill it out, get right, right. in the center That's... right in the center of it with a drill bit and just drill it till the head comes off and then the rotor comes off. You should be able to take the rest of the screw out of the hub with yeah, your finger. It'll leave a little piece, the thickness of the rotor, right. and you can catch out a pair of vice grips just unscrew it, it. Okay. That's and, that's my battle. Yeah. Right. Uh, maybe I'm using a bit that's too big around. Maybe I'm using a bit that's too wrong, big. I maybe don't know. the wrong bit. Yeah, it doesn't I, have to be uh, real big, just bigger than what the screw diameter is, and that way when it drills down right. to where the cut, it'll basically I cut think, it off. I think that's a 8-millimeter screw. The head is probably okay. 10, 11 millimeters. So if you okay. take, a, take a quarter-inch drill bit and drill it in there just the depth of the rotor, you should 
you're not going to hurt anything, even if you go through a little bit, because you still got the thickness of the rotor before you get into the actual hub of the vehicle. So you, all you got to do is drill the head of it off. And then the rotor's going to okay. slide off. You can grab the rest of it with a pair of vice grips and unscrew it and take it out. Then maybe I need to find a better bit. <laughs> now, that, that's because possible. That, I'm gonna I, have, what? I have seen some, some bits that work great, and I have seen some new bits that yeah, even new bits that just don't work. Yeah, they just you know, you got wrong. so much of that stuff is imported now that man, it just yeah, they're not even sharpened right when you get them new. They don't just and don't cut, just don't drill. That that's a whole process in itself right. is actually it is sharpening a drill bit correctly. Right. Make sure too if you got a drill that's reversible that the drill hadn't gotten reversed because then your bit's turning backwards and it won't do anything but sit there and turn. And I know that sounds simple, but uh, it ought to be turning clockwise. Yeah, yeah. I, I know yeah. I've made the that mistake that before. I- the only thing I'm thinking is maybe getting a smaller bit than what I've currently used. You can. And try to try to tap a smaller hole yes, and then go in with the bigger bit. I don't know. Yeah, you can I'm do not, that. I've not had this kind of situation before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah uh, I mean, you, you can drill what they call a pilot hole, which is smaller, and then just take the bigger bit and use to cut yeah. it. You should always start with a smaller hole than you're actually trying to drill. That way the big drill yeah. is not trying to cut all the material at once. Yeah, and that's a fairly, yeah. a fairly soft screw, so yeah, it, it shouldn't be, it's not like a hardened piece of uh, material or anything. We drill them out all the time. And but, honestly, I believe right. that is just a shipping screw. It is. When, when they assemble the vehicle, they assemble the hub and the rotor in a different place, so they put that screw in it to keep them from coming apart before they get to the vehicle. Right. I don't really think all we right, need my, it. It doesn't have to be, to be on there because the lug nuts are going to hold the rotor right. on regardless, but Right. I always put them back. Okay. Just to, yeah, I just put them to... back because they were there originally. Mm-hmm. All right. My second question is this, is that the rear rotors were in really good shape, so mm-hmm. all I did was replace the pads. Okay. okay. However, when I replaced the pads, the pads on the driver's – now, let me say this. On both passenger and driver's side, there's equal wear on both inner and outer pads. Okay. However, the pads on the passenger side were in really good shape, the pads on the driver's side mm-hmm. were almost to metal. Yeah, those vehicles, weren't... John, had a notorious problem for rear calipers hanging up. They use a plastic piston rear caliper. Yep. We always replace uh, those calipers on the rear just because we have so many comebacks on them if we don't. They're uh, fairly, fairly reasonable. Okay. and they're, they're not expensive, and they're fairly easy to change, but we almost always... Now, the front calipers hold up generally yeah. life of the car, but the rears the use plastic pistons in the calipers, and they are notorious for hanging up, meeting one side or the other. Okay, so if I replace that caliper and I open up the system, you're gonna have to and bleed. I manually bleed that system, or does that have to be done with the what year's vehicle is that? tool. What year is it? The twelve. A twelve. Yeah, that, that has the uh, look on your actual braking. tubes and see if it's got a sensor on those tubes on either side. If I'll it does, yeah, I'll buy the wheel. Then it would have to be done with a tech two or a GDI. Okay. So that might right. be something you want to take it to a shop for, and I would replace yeah. both. If one's yeah. bad, they've both been in and out the same amount of times. So I would replace both okay. rear calipers, uh, and the bleeding procedure is pretty involved on that. If you try to manually bleed it like you always have with that system, right. you're going to lose the brake pedal, uh, and you may never get it back. It'll just keep going lower and lower and lower, and you end up having to tow it somewhere. Right. It takes okay. that special scan tool to activate the uh, ABS unit and cycle everything and get the fluid out of it mm-hmm. correctly. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay, guys. All right, well, John. I appreciate it. You bet. Right. Thanks for calling, man. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take our second quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. 
Linda, I've been so tense lately. Can you recommend a masseuse? Oh, have I got a massage guy. Johan Thundercloud. He's Swedish Native American who uses classic deep tissue massage with natural healing methods. That sounds interesting. His deep tissue green pine cone massage is amazing. Along with the piercing eagle claw technique. Working your muscles with a rhythmic screech. When you hear that, you know it's working. I bet. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, check out the team at Agco Automotive. We keep it simple with high-quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And don't forget about Agco's general inspection, an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so your car will perform for the long term. One thing, though. Do you bleed easily? What? Johan will want to know. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. It's 291-6901. And use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States. There you go. Put the country code of 1, and you can get us anywhere in the world. That's right. <laughs> right time zone, you'll be just set. Figure out the time zone difference and wake up at the right time. And, there you go. Or, or go to sleep, sleep at the right, right time. time. <laughs> Whatever it may be. <laughs> and, yeah, we were talking about some of the email and uh-huh. stuff that we received. And what I did, I didn't realize, I, I didn't know how many calls we'd get today since sure. we've been off the air for so long. Fortunately, we've gotten several already. But uh, I thought I'd print out some of these email, and we could talk about that just a bit. And sure. Kind of some of the stuff we typically get. Sure. we got one here from uh, Mr. Brown, who lives in Texas. He's driving a 2011 Ford Edge and thinks he has a wheel bearing issue. So mm-hmm. It's got a little roaring noise when you're driving it down the road. And wheel bearings are, are a funny thing nowadays because they're all sealed bearings. They're not packable, serviceable bearings anymore. And there is a seal on them that keeps the moisture and the splash water out of the bearing. Out and the grease in. And the grease in. But what happens to a bearing is if you drive through a flooded road, and most people think of a flooded road as you know something you can't drive through. Right. Uh, we're talking six, eight inches of water. Right. Just enough to get up to the center of the wheel is, is plenty. Sure. And what it does is it gets past that seal and gets into the grease. It emulsifies the grease, and the grease breaks down, so the bearing is running dry now. Right. No longer lubricated. It starts starts galling up and making noise. Well, and rust will form on the metal sure. inside, so it'll go bad. Now, this process may take anywhere from two weeks to three, three months, months. Or, or longer. Sure. But once water gets in, and people will say, well, isn't it sealed? I said, well, it, it is, is sealed, but it's not a submarine. Right. You know, it's designed to keep a little splashy rainwater out, but it's not designed to run underwater. It Correct. just won't do that. So when you do drive through high water, it'll get past the seal. It'll emulsify the grease. The bearing is going to fail at that point. But there are other things that do cause them to go bad as well. You sure. can hit a curb. Any kind just of the shock will do it sometimes, just like people. They just die. Mm-hmm. You know, no, no specific reason. They just, they just go bad. But I think what his main thrust was of his question is how does he know which Bearing, bearing it is because he could tell it was probably one of the fronts because when he cuts his wheel one way or the other it, it would changed. get louder and quieter so he knew it was one of the fronts but, uh-huh. and that can be pretty difficult to determine it can there is a series of microphones that we have at the shop that it's it's a center console and it has a dial on it where you can dial four different microphones and we'll take those microphones and attach them out at each wheel go drive the vehicle create the noise and then you can switch between the microphones 
and listen for the bearing that's making the noise. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the ways you can do it. Another thing, of course, you can jack it up, check and see if there's any slack in the bearing. I have seen bearings that have slack and not make a sound. You can have bearings with slack that don't make noise, and, and you, you can, can have, have bearings that make noise that don't have slack. Exactly. So it's not a definitive test in and of itself. But it's it just is a, a, a supporting test. Correct. Combination of it sounds like this side and, and the bearing smooth. has slack. Pretty much a, adds a lot more weight to the argument. Now, what can happen? That noise really, it seems like it's pretty simple, but the wind blows sounds around right. under the car. It transfers because the wheels are all connected one way or another. If you have a front-wheel drive car, there's an axle and a differential between them, and the noise can go through those axles and transfer. Sometimes you just get fooled. Sometimes I mean, you do. It, I, I remember the, the Toyota truck series, the Sequoia, the Tundra, that series of Toyotas. Mm-hmm. They will have a rear wheel bearing go out, which is pretty common, mm-hmm. but it sounds like a front. Yeah. Uh, we've been fooled by it once. Sounds like it's in the front, and it, it is. And it may be that you even have a bad bearing in the front and one in the back. And Correct. so you fix one, and the noise is different, but, but it's, it's still, still noise there. Right. And that's one thing we always like to tell people. You know, the car, all four wheels probably went through the same thing. Right. They've all been down the same road. We have found that you have a wheel bearing bad on the right front. It is possible the one left may fail subsequent to this. Or it may be making noise that we can't hear right right now. Because this one's making so much noise, I can't hear that one. So when I replace this one, we may have the same noise, just much lower and on the other side. Mm -hmm. And you have to kind of understand, you can't get mad at the shop. They they did not misdiagnose the problem. They just gave you what they could get at the time with testing available. I mean, the other option is let's just replace both bearings every time. Now, a lot of times you can replace bearings that don't need to be changed. Sure. So you don't ever want to overcharge a customer or sell them something that they don't need, but sometimes there's just no way to definitively know. Now, fortunately, on some vehicles, like just say your Chevy pickups, the bearing bolts in as an assembly. Right. The bearing comes with its own hub, compact, uh, compressed and everything. All you do is bolt it onto the vehicle. Right. What you can do in that case, let's say you determine the bearing is on the right front making noise. You replace the right front bearing, and the noise is exactly the same. It didn't change. Okay, well, obviously, you guessed wrong. You can take that bearing that you took off of that side, and it's the same as the one on the other side, so you can replace it. Fortunately, they are the same bearing. Right, and it really doesn't matter because this bearing was good at this point. You replaced it with a new bearing, so it's good. You can take the good bearing and replace it, and you, at side. least you're not out any money. You're out some more work. In that application. In that particular application. Now, some bearings press in. Right, and that turns into a whole different genre of uh, repair. Right, it's a, it's a destructive process. You have to destroy the bearing to get it out. There's no way to press it out and press it back in. You have to take the component, the knuckle off the vehicle, which usually involves realignment mm-hmm. because you've, you've taken a, the knuckle off Unless you're taking off tapered bearings like a ball joint, mm-hmm. then you can probably get away without an alignment. But if you have to take a component off that has that holds the alignment, that has any kind of adjustment on it, then you have to have a realignment after the knuckle is put back on after the new bearing is put back in. So it's a much much bigger process okay. under those cases. Now under that particular set of circumstances, if I hear a noise definitely on the right, and there's any doubt there's noise on the left. I'm going to generally recommend change both bearings just sure. because, number one, the labor is going to be greater to come back, and you may involve having to do another alignment if you have to come back. Correct. So under those circumstances, I normally recommend replacing both front bearings Do do both as bearings. opposed to a bolt-in bearing where it's really not a big deal to come back and change the other one if it fails because mm-hmm. it may not fail. So you, you may get lucky. So it, you know, the, the advice will be slightly different 
depending, depending on, on the, the design of the car. Correct. Yeah, you know, there was another one here with a strut on the back of a car. Uh-huh. And the gentleman was asking, he says, I noticed there's oil on my strut okay. on the rear of my daughter's car. It's running all the way down the strut, and it's not dripping on the ground. However, when I jounce the car, I do not feel any it, – it's working. It's right. still doing its job. And he says, how important is it that we replace the struts? Then he said, my daughter is fixing to take this car to college, that and is, she's going to be away. That, that's the key to me, phrase. is a key phrase. Sure. You know, if you were driving the car yourself and you're driving around home, I would say, hey, let's just wait until it starts showing some more symptoms. Sure. Or, you know, until it gets worse. But, but you're, you're fixing to take your daughter and send her off maybe out of state right. with this vehicle, which limits your access back to that vehicle. So mm-hmm. now you're going to have to rely on somebody else that you can trust to work on this vehicle for your daughter. Correct. So under those circumstances, I would recommend replacing both struts sure. before you go. It's very often very important to tell the shop exactly how you intend to operate a vehicle when you come in with a problem. Just because their recommendation, a quality shop is going to try to do what's in your best interest. Sure. You know, if you bring a car in for a general inspection, and I notice that you've got three thirty-seconds inch of rubber left on a tire, well, two thirty-seconds is considered worn out. Now, if you're just putting around town, maybe you put 5,000 miles a year on your car, then, yeah, you can wait a while. Sure. you still got one thirty-second of rubber remaining. Well, but if you tell me you're fixing to go to Colorado on vacation, right. you'll be getting into some ice and some snow and all that. Well, I'm going to recommend replacing the tires right now. Most definitely. Same thing with brakes. If you've got basically two millimeters remaining, that's considered it's- legally worn out. But if you got three millimeters and again you're putting around town, you go to the grocery store and back, you can wait a while on that. Sure. Maybe up to a year on that. But if but, you're going into Gatlinburg and you're gonna be in the mountains, then all of a sudden my advice is gonna to change to you because you're gonna be really stressing these brakes a lot. They are close already. So again, I don't ever want to oversell anybody something they don't need, but I don't want to undersell and have them have a problem on the road. Exactly. So it's always important to try to apprise the shop of how you intend to operate the vehicle in the immediate and the coming future. Sure. Take our last quick little break. Be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. TJ, I've been looking to tone up, man. You have a personal trainer, right? Yes, I've got the guy. Mr. Miyago. <laughs> He's going to teach me how to wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyago's no joke. Oh, sorry. He begins by filling your shorts with wet sand to provide weight resistance and enhance focus. Then launches into a series of drills like crouching tiger, hidden badger, fire monkey, flogging duck, and highly agitated dragon. Sounds kind of extreme. Yeah, bruh. Extreme results. Everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for the right automotive guy, it's ag Automotive. We make it easy. Quality repairs and a staff you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, you get an annual checkup to diagnose problems that could cost you down the road. You will need to sign a waiver stating you are not allergic to pig intestines and live geese. I think I'm just going to hit the gym, TJ, but thanks. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. If you'd like to just join us in the show, just give us a call. It's 291-6901. And we have one more email here to kind of go over before we get out of here today. That's right. Mr. Thomas from Kentucky has a Jeep Wrangler. They have been fighting a engine running problem. 
And what his, what his question was is they put a coil on it. It was running bad, and they figured out a coil was bad, so they changed the coil, and it started running fine. And a few days later, now it's back to running bad again, and he's wanting to know what's the next step. Right. And we've been talking about parts for, seems like, forever. Right. And just because it's a new part, it's not a known good part. That's correct. We have we have kicked parts out before they even got put on the vehicle, mm-hmm. new in the box. Well, and the problem with that, if you are a do-it-yourselfer and you don't have any way to test or check, if you simply replace a part, a number of things can happen. Number one, you can get another bad part. Mm-hmm. You put it on, you still got the same problem. So you assume, okay, that wasn't it, and you start going tirade of spending money on other things. That's one thing. Another is it could be a another problem. For instance, the connector could be bad. You yeah. unplug it, you plug it back in with the new part, and it starts working. Well, that fixes it. The new part fixes it. And then well, a few days later, it reoccurs. Right. Well, the same thing would have happened if you had just unplugged it off the old part Correct. and plugged it back in. Back in. It just You're doing more than just changing, changing the part when you change the part. You're moving right. some stuff around. So that's another possibility. Another is that the part was okay when you put it in, but it failed subsequently. Mm-hmm. Now, that could be it was a defective part. It could be something else is causing the part, the part to, to fail. fail. Sure. So the problem is if you just go in and start replacing parts, you're going to probably spend a lot, lot, lot more money because you don't have a way to test, to tell is this a good part, is this right. a bad part. And not only that, but you end up creating other situations. Right. You may create another problem. With a bad part. Well, we had a time where a gentleman went in, he changed the cam sensor, and the vehicle started running Mm -hmm. again. It it wouldn't run before, so that was it. Well, then a couple days later, it happened again. And so he replaced it again with another one. He brought it back. They gave him a warranty on it, and same scenario. Right. Well, what happened, the cam sensor itself was not bad at all. But what he was doing when he was unplugging, he was going inside the distributor. He was moving some stuff around. It was actually a connection to the little module inside the distributor. That was causing That was bad, and it would cause, but every time he would replace this, he'd move it around, so it would start working for a few days. But he spent a lot of time, and luckily he didn't spend too much more money because he was going to go start changing all the parts after that. Because he says, this can't be it. It can't just keep going bad. So something else must be causing this. And he was smart enough to bring it to us. We diagnosed the problem for us. And he decided to just go ahead and let us fix it. But right. even if you want to fix it yourself, pay a professional to diagnose it and then take it back and fix it yourself. Sure. That's going to be way cheaper because it's not practical for you to gain all the information you would need or have all the tooling you would need to test these things in many, many cases. It would just cost way, way, way too, too much. much. So That's where a shop comes in. It's just more practical to pay someone to tell you definitively this is it, and this right. is the reason I know it's it. Fix it and move on. That's right. Let's go back to our phone lines. We've got Margaret on the line. Good morning, Margaret. Hi, how are you? Doing wonderful. Good morning. Thank you. My call. Good. Thank you. Um, I have a 2010 Honda CRV. Mm-hmm. It has um, about 107,000 miles on it, but every and it's running like a clock. You know, but every now and then the, the warning comes on saying check gas cap. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And mm-hmm. I went by whatever and got a new gas cap mm-hmm. in, and it didn't do it for a couple of days, and then it comes back on right. saying uh, check gas cap. Correct. And what else, Margaret? That is a very misleading light. What it, it says check gas cap because that is one of the most common things that can cause an evaporative emissions leak. However, unfortunately, there are probably ten dozen other things that can cause that. What is happening? 
the way that system tests itself to make sure that it's no leaks in it is that it draws a vacuum on the system, shuts a valve to hold that vacuum, and watches how long it takes the vacuum to degrade. Now, if it's leaking, the vacuum goes away right away. It's going to tell you to check gas cap because that's just the most common thing it could be. However, let's say you've got a vacuum hose with a little crack in it. It's going to throw the same light. Let's say the solenoid that closes doesn't seal. It's going to throw the same light. You've got a tank sensor, pressure yeah, sensor, pressure that could sensor be measuring wrong. the pressure. If that doesn't work, so the, the answer is there's several dozen things. There's only one light. And I don't know why they, they called it a check gas cap light. I guess that's, that was one of the common things, but likely you've got another issue. Now, the way that we would go about fixing that, you bring the car into the shop and what we're going to do, we're going to do a smoke test. That's where we have a machine that fills the system with smoke and you can go around, you can examine it and you can find out where it's leaking if it's leaking. You know, it, it may be, I've seen even a crack in the gas tank. If let's say the fuel pumps ever been replaced, sometimes they don't get the seal back in. It's a very, very, very sensitive system, and it's seeing that there's a leak somewhere in the system, and it's just saying gas cap. But, you know, if you put yeah. in your gas cap, that's definitely not it. So you're going to have to get it into somebody, let them check it, and tell you what it is. If there's no leaks in the system, then you have to test the sensor itself and see if it's reading it, test the solenoid, see if they're sealing. But there's probably five or six dozen things that can cause that. If you really want to understand more about it, you can go on my website and just type in evaporative emissions, and it'll bring up two articles that tell you all about how it works and all. But the answer is you got to get somebody competent, have them check it. It shouldn't cost a whole lot to, to test it, and then they can tell you definitively what it is. I mean, could this be a real expensive thing to deal with? It can be, Possibly. but it not necessarily. You know, I don't want to scare you unnecessarily. Probably the most expensive thing, I've seen the computer itself go bad and just automatically throw that light for no reason. Yeah, that is an inexpensive repair. But I've also seen a little crack in a vacuum hose, which is almost nothing. You know, it, it just, okay. I wouldn't just get word until what, I got it checked. Right. The big thing okay. is, in Baton Rouge, you will have to get that repair, uh, repaired because even though the light's not on, it's still got a code set in memory. And when you go get an inspection sticker, it's going to fail inspection because of that. Oh, Lordy. So you will okay. not be able to get an inspection sticker with it right. on. Okay. All righty. Well, uh, do, do I need to make an appointment with you? You don't have to, but it's always best because if you make an appointment, they'll block out time for you and it'll get done that day. If you just drop okay. in, they'll put it in the next available spot, but sometimes it may be a day or two before to get it done. Oh, Lordy. Yeah, I can't be without a car. Yeah, just call Elizabeth Monday morning and she'll set up an appointment. You can bring it in. We'll check okay. it. And if parts are available, we'll fix it the same day. If not, you can drive it until the parts come in and then fix it then. Okay. All right. I appreciate you. All right. Yes, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. You know, that's one of the systems. The evaporative emission system causes probably more check engine lights it than does. anything else. And a few years ago, they went to what they call advanced evaporative emissions, which they lowered the thresholds. It has to hold an even smaller amount of vacuum for an even uh -huh. longer period of time. And they've got it down to a point where it's almost ridiculously small. Right. And the slightest leak will set the light off. We see things like even someone stuck the filler tube into the gas uh, filler neck and got a little rough with it and warped that filler neck so where it's it not perfectly seal. round, and now the cap doesn't seal exactly uh -huh. right. And uh, that, that's where the, the smoke machine comes in. Right, here. because that's something you may not ever suspect is that that neck. Right. It still looks round, yeah. but it's not it's not round enough to seal. Correct. And that smoke machine fills that system completely full of smoke, and it'll come come out of the uh, the neck there right. if, it's, if it's not round.
Our Another ceiling. thing is any type of previous repair that may have been done on the car. Right. I always like to lot. go back and check that. For instance, let's say the fuel pump was replaced uh-huh. at some point in time. Well, what I would do first is go and check that area. Now, fortunately, on Jap cars, generally there's an access, access panel, panel under the seat. You can take Correct. it out. You don't have to take the gas tank out to check that area. Uh, a lot of your cars that tend to leak. We had a Cadillac come in, mm-hmm. and there was no access. You had to drop the tank down. Just to check it. Just to check it. So at that point, we saw smoke coming out from the top of the tank. We had to notify the customer, hey, there's going to be a little more labor to find out exactly where this thing is leaking at. Correct. We're going to have to drop the fuel tank so, just to test it. And then once we got the tank out, we filled the, the system back with the smoke, and you could see it coming out of the fuel pump seal. Somebody changed the pump at one time, didn't get the seal correctly installed, and it was leaking from there. I've seen that. I've seen where they don't put maybe some silicon lubricant on that O-ring. Uh-huh. And, and so that when they tie it down, it tends to pinch. Uh-huh. And when it pinches, it may actually work for a year. Right. Before it, it, it may be a year, two years later, the check engine light will start popping on, uh-huh. the check gas cap light will start popping on. Uh, another fairly common thing we see, two more common things we see, one is vacuum lines. Sure. Because they get 10 years old, they're rubber, they're under the car, exposed to the elements, and they'll get a little crack in them. As soon as they get a crack, they start leaking. One other thing we see a lot, particularly this time of year, is that a little rodent of some sort, a mouse, a right. squirrel, will crawl up on top of that tank because there's a little a little gap up there, maybe an inch wide. It's big enough for that little rodent to get in there. He builds a nest, and while he's there, he decides, oh, I might as well chew on stuff. I, I don't know what it is about the insulation on copper wire in a vehicle, but those rodents love it. They love to chew on stuff. And they like stuff. to get right next to the connector and chew it off right at the connector. <laughs> you know? Not in the middle where you could fix it real easy. That's right. So as soon as they, uh, as soon as they do that, wham, light pops on. Yep. So just any number Something of things. That's one of those things you're not going to be able to throw enough parts out. You can okay. run out of money before you run out of gas. Exactly. Hey, I want to thank everybody for listening this week to the Automotive Hour and every week. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Please go to our website and hit the, um, that's right. Or wherever you happen to listen, just right. go ahead and fill out a review. <laughs> That'll move us up in the rankings where more people can hear us. And preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.